0: Hey guys, this is the C3 Church Malmo podcast. I am believing God will speak to you today and that a greater level of faith will be unlocked in your life. For more information about C3 Church, go to c3malmo.se. God bless. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to be back. Thank you. have had a few weeks off and thank you to the great leaders of this church in keeping the motor running so we are continuing in the series called Walk, and it's my job to finish off the series this week and next week. So we've got two parts to what I'll be sharing, and um, I'm really looking forward to sharing a few thoughts to you with you around discipleship. But before we do that, I just want to firstly just say thank you to all of you who have given so far to the faith initiatives, the, the four faith initiatives with C3 Lund, City Hearts... Uh, the the sound and media and getting us online and developing an ability to stream and market ourselves online and develop an online ministry plus the Future Fund. All of you who have given generously to that, thank you so much. Um, It is absolutely, it means the world to us to give us the ability to resource initiatives that places us into the lives and the community of Malmö and Lund. And we will give you an update Uh, I think at the end of this month for each of those faith initiatives and how much has come in and what each team is up to and their progress as they develop further in their strategies and getting these initiatives going. So thank you again. I have a question for you as I jump into this message message today and of course we are talking about discipleship. Um, What do you think of... Or I should ask, maybe, what do others think of when they hear the word Christian? When they hear the word Christian, what do they think of or what do you think of when you hear that word Christian? Because I guess it does depend on who you're talking to and who you're asking. Somebody might say, well, my experience of what a Christian is is a transformed life that somebody was like this once and because of Jesus Christ, they became like this. And I can say that because I experienced that in watching my father be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ coming into his life. Others may say that you are deceived, you're a fool, you need some imaginary crutch to get through life. Others may say that you when I think of a Christian, I think of caring people that persevere relationally where others give up. If you've been a part of my kids' religion classes at school, where the teacher goes through all the religions of the world, gets to Christianity and says, quite frankly, in front of the whole class, if you are a Christian, you are an ignorant fool. And that's happened to a number of my kids at school. So I guess it depends on who you're talking to and who you're asking. But you know what? Jesus never used that word. He never used the word Christian to describe his followers. It was actually a, a sarcastic word that was created by those that were mocking the disciples for following Christ. You are a Christ follower. You are a mini-me of Jesus. You're a, an interpreter, an imitator of this person, Jesus. And we're going to call you Christian. It had a negative connotation to it in this when the disciples were following Christ and so it's an interesting word we all use it and we all we all should use it it's a great word but that's where it comes from but here's the thing Jesus never used that word the word he used is disciples and in Matthew chapter 9 verse 9 we see Jesus approaching Matthew the tax collector a guy that was despised by many that was seen as a manipulative criminal in the way that he got funds off common citizens. But Jesus approaches him, somebody that is known everywhere, and says, Hey, come follow me. He didn't give him a great description of what that would mean. He didn't go into all the rules that he would have to follow and things he would have to believe. He just quite literally said, Come follow me, be my disciple. And Matthew did. He responded, he got up and left and followed Jesus. And of course, it's not too hard to understand that in the Greek, the word disciple means learner, pupil and follower. And so when we are talking about being a disciple of Jesus Christ, what we're talking about really is that we would live like Jesus, that we would love Jesus like Jesus, and that we would do just like Jesus. That's what it would be to follow him and be his disciple. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you set up that template, that model for us to follow. That when you called these people together and said, follow me, you have asked us to do the same, to go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've called us to walk a path. And you've called us to call others to come walk that path as well. And so, Lord, today I ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would stir us up that you would awaken areas of our lives and recognize again and afresh with new eyes that we are disciples bought with a price, called to a commission to carry out your cause into this city and into this world. Amen. So who do you say that you are? Who do you think that you are? if you've met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I can say that you've been transformed, that you are forgiven, that you have gone from old to new, that you are a new creation, a new life has come for you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are an ambassador, a masterpiece, an overcomer. You are salt and light. So let me tell you today, when you know who you are, you will know what you should do. You are a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus. You are not just a Christian of what other people describe, whatever that means. You are a disciple who lives like Jesus, that loves like Jesus, and and does what Jesus asks us to do. So when you know who you are, you will know what to do. And so when I think of discipleship in the process of developing this message, I've, I've, I've tried to come back to the very core. And that is always when it comes to God, the core is a matter of the heart. It's always starting with the heart. If you get it in your heart, you get it in your head. When you get it in your heart, you get it in your marriage. You get it in your finances. You get it in your career. You get it in your relationships. When you get this in your heart... You get it into your life because being a disciple is a matter of the heart. Wherever your heart is focused, your life is focused. And so I just want to touch on, before we get on to further points, a guy that was all heart, a guy that inspires me, challenges me, a guy that was all heart, his name is Peter. And in John 21, 1 to 17, we, we see the story. And I won't read it all for the sake of time. We're familiar with it. We see the disciples starting to gather after the death of Christ. And they're lost. They're depressed. They've gathered on the beach. They've gone back to fishing. The only thing they know. There's no chit-chatter, back-slapping, telling of stories. There's this silence where they kind of fade back into their thoughts and wonder, what was this last three years about? We had so much expectation of what was going to happen. But here we are, back, mending our nets and pushing the boat out to catch some more fish. You could just imagine how they would feel And then suddenly a man appears on the seashore and says, Hey, how's the fishing going? And of course they say, Yeah, it's not going great, just to add to the misery. And he says, Cast your nets on the other side. And they did. And of course their nets were filled to overflowing. And in verse 7 it says this The disciples Jesus loved, the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, because he had stripped off to work with the nets, jumped into the water and headed for the shore. And in 12, it says this, Now come and have breakfast, Jesus said. None of his disciples dared to ask him who you are, because they knew he was the Lord. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And the third time he asked again. And this is where Peter gets a little bit twisted and a bit frustrated Peter was hurt, that scripture say. Jesus asked the question a third time and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my sheep. And I pondered this before the Holy Spirit as I was reading this scripture and and thinking about what's going on here. And I I thought, you know what? Peter was all heart. And when someone is all heart and they fail so terribly as him, where he was, he explained how committed he was to Jesus Christ again and again and again. When Jesus went to wash his feet and he said, don't wash my feet, and Jesus told him he had to, then he said, well, let him wash all of me. I mean, he was either completely nothing or over the top something. And Peter there, when he denied Jesus three times, I think it crushed him. I think he was carrying that. And that's why when he was told, hey, I think that's Jesus on the shore, he, he couldn't stop himself but jump into the water and run to him. And so when Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? I don't think it was a question that needed to be answered in the heart of Jesus. I think it was a question that needed to be answered in the heart of Peter. That he had to get to Peter's heart and that Peter needed to hear again and again and again I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. It was like he was ministering to his own soul in the front of the Lord Jesus by saying, I love you, Jesus. I've got to tell you, I think it's one of the best things you can do when you're facing opposition, when you're facing discouragement, when you're facing anger and frustration because of circumstances in your life, just to stop and say, I love you, Jesus. It brings a whole new perspective on things. It brings a great adjustment to your heart. And God was ministering to Peter's heart in that moment. He was allowing Peter to come back and leave that remorse and shame of denying him three times and come back to that original place of loving Jesus for who he was. And so I want you to be encouraged today by Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ. I want you to be encouraged by a guy that was fallible, that failed time and time again, that his weaknesses kept jumping up in front of everybody because he just kept on making mistakes. He was a headstrong guy, full of passions. He was one of the guys that fell asleep under the tree when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was to be taken, and he was in a place of great anguish. And his brothers couldn't even stand with him in prayer, and Peter was one of them. Peter chopped off the ear. Of the priest's servant when they came to take him, not fully understanding that this had to happen. As Peter was growing in the Lord, he was consistently inconsistent. Anyone know what I'm talking about today? He would go from great success in faith and action, followed by another failure. He declared his allegiance to Christ and then he would deny him three times. And of course, part of his problem was that he would speak often before he was able to process that thought. And so many of us can identify with that side of Peter. And I want to empower you in your identity as a disciple today. I want you to recognize that your journey or your process of a disciple is, that, is not unique and that it's a journey for many of us, if not all of us. Some of his strengths, if we were to balance out that list of complaints that we keep preaching about and shaking our head, why is he doing it again? We look at his strengths and we see a man that was passionate about his relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus turned up on the beach and they were out the boat fishing... And he was told, hey, that's Jesus on the shore. He could have dived down into the bottom of the boat, tried to bury himself so Jesus couldn't see him because of the shame of denying him three times. He didn't do that. He was passionate about his relationship with Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat and runs to him. Secondly, he's committed. Peter is... fallen ...many times, but he is committed to Christ as a person. Thirdly he made a choice to put God first. It doesn't just happen by itself. We have to make a choice to put God first. Fourthly, he's repentant. He has a sense of humility about him, a sense of self-awareness that allows him to repent for his failings. And fifth, he persevered Till the end. What wonderful characteristics. Another way I would say he persevered is he bounces back. You see, one of the challenges that we have as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, to live like him, to love like him, and to do what he has asked us to do, is that I think we disqualify ourselves from that category that label, from that walk, from that journey, because we keep feeling like we fail. Well, I want to encourage you with Peter. Bounce back. If you keep failing in the area of weakness and sin, keep repenting. If you feel like you say the wrong things at the wrong time, Keep apologizing. Just keep bouncing back and stay committed. Because you know what? Peter was used so mightily by God in the establishment of the church and through his days to the end. You see, Jesus is not looking for perfection. He's looking for availability. He's looking for someone just to say, no matter what, I'm going to stay true to course. I'm going to stay committed to you, Lord Jesus. That was Peter. Passionate, committed, Putting God first, he was repentant, and he persevered. Like Peter, in our own imperfection, let us persevere. Like Peter, let's persevere in living like Christ, loving like Christ, and doing what he asks for us. Throughout the scripture, it describes us in different ways. Describes us as soldiers and saints. Describes us, as, Matthew, as um, Justin mentioned last week, as athletes. We are a bride. Jesus is the groom. We're a part of his family. He calls us sons and daughters. This is our identity as, our, as disciples. This is an area that we need to understand more than most in who we are in Christ. We are sons and daughters. Let us read Galatians 4 4 to 7. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he would adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent his son, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us. To call out, Abba Father, Daddy Father, Papa Father. Now, you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. That passage in Galatians 4 is absolutely foundational to our walk as disciples. Could I say that everything else is built upon that revelation? That our identity in Jesus Christ is absolutely foundational. That we are sons and daughters. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer orphans. We've been adopted into his family. We've been given the ring of authority. We've been given the place in his life. He has welcomed us into not just his home, but into his arms. To who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. Don't get me wrong. It's an ongoing revelation. I don't think you read a book and then just suddenly get it. The Holy Spirit is so faithful to continuing to teach us as we read the word, as we we partake in his body, his church, and just walk the walk with each other. The Holy Spirit is so, so faithful in continuing to develop revelation around who we are in Christ. That Jesus has elevated us to heirs, to all the rights. That when we understand this liberty and freedom, we start to rise in our confidence. We start willing to take risks. I mean, this is why we're we're taking these faith initiatives as, as a church. Because we have a confidence in who we are in Christ. We have a confidence that he is with us, that he has spoken and leading us into a bright future. In John 13, 1-5, let's take a look in the New Living Translation. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything that he had had came from the Father and would return to the Father. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped the towel around his waist, poured a basin of water and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with the towel that he had around him. Jesus knew that the Father had given him all authority. They are at the Passover feast. The time is coming for him to be taken. Jesus knew, it states right here, making it crystal clear. Jesus knew who he was in the Father. He knew what he was and where he came from. And we need to follow suit. Because it is out of that position, he says in John 16, Jesus took all the things that the Father had given him, Unlimited access, unlimited resources. And he says, I now, my followers, my disciples, you've been made sons and daughters and heirs. I give you that same authority. I give you that same access pass. I give you the same resources to live like me, to love like me, and to do what I've asked you to do. But here's the thing. Jesus understands where he's coming from. He came from the Father and he's going back to the Father. He understands that he's giving, given everything, every resource in heaven to fulfill the Father's will. And the first thing he does is he takes up a towel, puts some water in a basin and washes his disciples' feet. That's the first thing he does. It's the last thing he does also. That with all that authority, he becomes a servant to all. With all that power, with all that influence, with all that resource, he becomes the servant of all. You see, when you enter a person's house, there's a servant there to wash your feet. They are the lowest of the low. And so Jesus deliberately becomes the lowest of the low and washes the disciples' feet. We were orphans. We were servants and we become sons and daughters and heirs. He has given us every single access to every single thing that the Father gave him. And he calls us to serve. To serve one another, yes. But he calls us to serve this city. The city of Malna. He calls us to serve Lund. He calls us to bring those resources into this region. He calls us to bring miracles Signs and wonders. He calls us to bring healing. He calls us to bring the prophetic. He calls us to bring words that bring freedom. He calls us to train and disciple people that they may know what it is to walk in that freedom. You see, the difference between a son and a servant. A servant serves to gain identity. I'll say it again. A servant serves to Identity. A son serves from his identity. Jesus served from knowing where he is from and where he is going and knowing the authority that had been given to him. And he's calling us to do the same. Now remember, we're talking about discipleship today. He's called us to be sons and daughters to be into that intimate relationship that knows the Father's heart, that knows the the plan and the vision that God has for you and for your church. To know that intimate conversation. I remember the first time I was challenged to be a son. We were back in Sydney. I was halfway through studying my degree in theology and we were full of zest and life and wanted to serve God with our lives and we had been on trips to Sweden and we had a sense that God was calling us to Sweden and we were transitioning from one church to another and we were, we were started to go to what was called Christian City Church, which is now called C3 Church in Sydney. Pastor Richard and Sue Botter, for many of you, you know them. They've been here many times. And we'd been going to this new church, C3 Church, for three weeks, and I approached the pastor in his home and said, listen, Pastor, Susanne and I, we're, we're studying theology. We feel a call of God on our lives to go start a church in Sweden. And I'm like, I want to submit this to my pastor. and I want to be under his authority and God working through him into my life. And I understand how authority works and so i'm coming under his authority and sharing this with him now he doesn't say anything and he comes to our house and we sit opposite each other on the dinner table and he says you're not ready and i'm like well yeah that that's one of the reasons i spoke to you about it because let's get us ready how exciting what a process uh and then pause and he says no Now, I've shared this story before, and for those that are new, that's great. You'll hear it for the first time, but it works with this whole teaching, so I'm going to share it again. Let's get us ready. And he says, no. Big, long pause. My brain is exploding because I'm thinking, hey, we're God's gift to you. We're a young couple, desperately handsome, gifted of God. Think so? Gone to theology. University, done all this stuff, surely we're the kind of couple you're looking for. That's what I'm thinking in my brain anyway. He says, No. Big long pause. And he said, Become a son of his house. Become a son of his house. And then he walked out. I wish he gave me a checklist. I wish he gave me a list of things I could check off that would indicate that I've achieved that goal of becoming a son of his house. He didn't, and I didn't ask. Because it's a matter of the heart. It's so hard to measure the heart other than to see the fruit of somebody's life. And so I honestly didn't know what to do with that statement. And when he left, I kicked the dog and the cat and expressed my frustration and disappointment to my wife and just exclaimed a few different phrases and words and was quite upset that he would say such a thing because I have no clue what he's talking about. But become a son of his house. He's saying, do you understand what access you have to heaven? You want to go start a church? Do you understand... What resources you have. Do you understand that you're an heir? You're not a servant anymore. You're not an orphan anymore. You've been adopted. You've been brought in close. Do you understand what's going to be required of you to be a pastor? How many times you're going to have to love like Jesus loved and lay down your life again and again and again and again. Because if you're still a servant, you won't last. You need to become a son. You need to become a daughter of his house. You need to know what it is to access every resource of heaven not just to survive but to thrive if and when we send you to Sweden. I think you know what the result became. And so today I want to challenge us all as disciples of Jesus Christ as followers of him it's not just enough, and yes, it's so important to read the Word and study it, to pray and develop your love life with God. But understand that you are a son and a daughter bought with an incredibly expensive price, that you've been made heirs where heaven is completely open and accessible to you. Every resource that Jesus Christ was given by the Father, He has given us So be that son, be that daughter. Recognize that, yes, I am imperfect. I am fallible, just like Peter. But I will remain passionate and committed and focused. I will bounce back every single time. Be a son. Be a daughter of his house. Jump in. Learn to swim in this wonderful pool called C3 Church. Because it's in the working Of his vision that we are true disciples. It is in running a connect group, it is meeting people for lunch, it is being a part of people's lives. We call it life on life discipleship. Jesus set the template in place. Yes, Bible college is important, yes, programs are great, but nothing replaces the work of the Holy Spirit through authentic relationships. Sons and daughters, Cause us to follow him. Let's do that personally, intimately, but also corporately. To live a life like his, to love like he does, and to do what he did. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that you showed us the way. Holy Spirit, We again thank you that you are the great mentor, the great coach that teaches us how to walk the path of a disciple. We ask for a greater revelation today of what it is to be a son and a daughter of God, to be an heir. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open doors for us in Malmo and Lund. Doors where we can bring hope and healing doors to open to bring the message of love, grace, and purpose into the lives around us. I pray for a spirit of growth in this area over your life. I pray for a spirit of growth over this church as these four faith initiatives start to get traction throughout this year and the next. May the kingdom come in Sweden. May the kingdom come in Malmö and Lund. May your will be done here, God, in Malmö and Lund. We thank you for your sonship. We thank you for making us sons and daughters. We receive it, we walk it, and we want to share it right here in Malmö in Lund. Lord, we pray by your spirit that you would give us courage, boldness, and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you, everybody. Just ask that you would continue to listen to the podcast, listen to this message again and the other messages as part of this series. Just let it just stew and digest into your heart and be blessed as you go into your week. Thanks.